Yes! We made it! We made it, right? What, what was my time? 31 weeks. 31 weeks, all right, finally we're here. All right, clap it up, act like you're excited or something, come on. All right. We are at the end of the story, can you believe it? Okay, are you awake today? Are we alive? You're going to have to make some noise today. This isn't going to work very well if you're not excited uh, to do this, all right? We finished uh, the race here, um, arriving at, at the, the final chapter of uh, this book, the story that we've been in. Okay, raise your hand. We can do this periodically. Raise your hand if you read, like, the whole thing, all right? You read the whole thing. All right, very good. Um, now, if, raise your hand if you're like one of those, like one of those students that you didn't literally read the whole thing, but you, you know you did enough to t- say to your teacher, "Yeah, I read it." Right? You, you did enough, right? Okay. Yeah, I know, I know that your type as well. Uh, well, uh, here we are. And if you if you've just um, if you've just jumped in or uh, you've been in and out along the way, maybe you're, you're just here for the first day and you're like one of those fans cheering at the finish line. Uh, but, but however much you have been along for the ride, it's good that we're here today, arriving at the last chapter of this 31-week journey, a chronological run through the whole Bible. And today we're at uh, chapter 31, and we're going to dive into the book of Revelation today. Uh, give you a heads up, uh, next week we're going to kind of do a special recap then of the story. It's going to involve some of our kids. They, of course, have been going through the story as well, so you want to be here for that. And then the following week would be a good week to, to invite someone with you, maybe someone who doesn't have a church home, someone who's a little unsure, what, what, the, what is this Jesus thing all about? It's called Spoken Hub. Uh, there's some invite cards you can grab on the way out, tell your friends, and uh, come back for that in two weeks. And then the week after that, there's a baptism splash. Uh, maybe, maybe you're ready to mark your walk with Christ in that way by getting baptized. There'll be a whole bunch of people ready to celebrate that with you. So that's what the next uh, few weeks are going to, to look like. But where we're at today is in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's the final book of the Bible. And it's often considered the, the most intimidating, uh, the most difficult, challenging book of the Bible as well. And we're going to take it on all in one day, uh, which can be difficult. Well, it's, it's impossible to do it all in one day. We, but I but, uh, want to let you know of uh, some other ways that you can dive in and study this book. First, back in 2010, we did a whole series on the book of Revelation. It was called, What's the World Coming To? So you can find that online. It's in the media archives. You can request it at the Resource Center. Uh, maybe of interest to you as you, you want to study this book a little further. Also, in the fall, there's going to be a class on the book of Revelation. We do this periodically. Ethan has promised me we're going to have a class in the fall. That uh, may be something that you'll want to dive into. Uh, I was just talking with someone the other day. Was, is you very concerned? of all the things that she's hearing about Revelation. And, and so we, we talked through some of that, and then I pointed her to the class as an opportunity to help uh, overcome the, the fear of this book and instead uh, be able to appreciate the beauty of its message. Okay, So I want to put those two things out there because I feel like when, when we get to this part of the story, we, we got about like this much that we're trying to get through today. And uh, we just can't do it all, but uh, we're going to do what we can. All right, so last week... Ben brought us uh, through the final days of Paul, that, that on-fire uh, missionary and church planter. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, traveled all throughout the, the Roman Empire. The Ro- Romans were the dominant world power at the time, all around the Mediterranean Rim and up into Europe. And, and within those boundaries, Paul went around and, and he told the story. And he didn't just tell it, he, he validated it. He, he demonstrated its power. 
the same power that raised Jesus from the dead was, was at work through Paul and, and in the churches that, that he and others led. And as churches grew up all over that empire, Paul found himself to be kind of the, the chief uh, coach and, and cheerleader for those churches. So he would say things to them all along like, stand firm, hold on, F- follow my example, continue in what you've been taught, finish the race. And that's what we want to do today. We want to finish the race. But you know, this race, this race actually began with, with a walk. So we take a walk with me. Take a walk with me today. If you're awake, all right, you coming with me? Okay? All right, let's, let's stay awake. We're going to walk. We're going to take a walk all the way back, okay? All the way back to the beginning. Okay, you remember where it all started? Um, uh, you know, in the first pages of your Bible, I'm on page three of the story. Sometimes it's good, you know, Revelation is a hard book, and so when you're sorting out some difficult things, it's good to just take a walk. So let's walk all the way back to the beginning. On page three of the story, it says, This is the account of when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. He made it and he gave life to it all. And then it says, the Lord planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed. Remember that? Everything was beautiful and lush. It is pleasing to the eye. It produced good good food. And then God says on page 4, it's not good for man to be alone. Right? I mean, we know. Okay? It's not good for man to be alone. So God created woman. And then God let them, the, the man and the woman, live in the garden and tend to it. And everything was set up for their flourishing. Nothing was off limits to them except for one tree from which God said, you must not eat. And so with everything in place, the man and the woman and all of God's good creation, on page 5 it says, the Lord was walking in the garden on the cool of the day. How would you like to take a walk with God in the garden on the cool of the day? I mean, I I think that could be nice, right? And God thought so too. That's why he took the walk. Breathing in the fresh air, enjoying the, the goodness of his handiwork. And had all the makings of a great day. Like the kind of, that, that you record in your journal so you won't forget. Or the kind that you reminisce about when you're gathered around the bonfire with friends. But as God strides through the garden, he cannot find those whom he is seeking. For it says that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking and they hid from the Lord. Have you ever walked into something that didn't turn out like you expected? You brought a set of expectations to a situation, but they weren't met. Maybe you got the opposite of what you hoped for. You expected them to say, I love you too. You thought the boss was calling you in to commend you. You you thought the house was going to be clean when you got home. You you expected someone to be there for you, but they weren't. Well, God strolled into his garden, his realm, his kingdom to take a walk with the ones that he made as the pinnacle of his creation, stamping upon them his very own image, only to find the man and the woman hiding from him, ashamed at what they had done. He expected closeness. They created distance. He wanted faithfulness. They chose to rebel. He arranged for their fulfillment, but they were greedy for more, and they crossed the only boundary that God had set for them, unleashing a curse on all of creation. 
the consequences of which we still feel every day. Everything that was created good and very good was now distorted, poisoned, wrecked, including our relationship with God and with one another. And we have seen how that's unfolded as we turn the pages of this story. That same sin and, and rebellion and greed and pride has taken root in all of us and so many whom God has made and desired to walk with have decided that they'd rather walk alone. And so the world does not look the way the Creator intended it to look, but instead very different. We see it here, and, and we see it when we get to this part of the story. So let's take a walk. You take a walk with me? We're going to flash forward from the beginning, from the beginning but, but still backward uh, for us, about 19 centuries ago. Okay. Uh, take a walk with me uh, out of a small third-story apartment in a bustling city in the Roman Empire. Okay. For it was to context such as these that the book of, of Revelation was written. Out there, down the shaky steps, down to the stone-laid street below, ducking in and out of the nooks and alleys, finally making our way out into one of the main arteries running through the city. Huge colonnades flank the road on either side. Just these magnificent columns, engraved and ornate, tall and straight. They embody the strength and order of the empire. Signs and banners hang from them honoring the emperor. As majestic as they are, they, they sit in the shadows of these bigger, expansive buildings and, and temples that sprawl out all over the city. These, these steps, kind of like the ones that lead up to the Lincoln Memorial, they lead up to these sacred sites that honor Zeus and Artemis and the other traditional deities. Not to mention all of the temples built in, in honor of Rome and the emperor, for the emperor himself was a god. Rome was chosen by the gods to, to conquer the world, to subdue all nations and usher them into a golden age of lasting peace and well-being. These sacred sites tell that story. Bringing your eyes down now to, to street level, people are everywhere. Just bustling along in the marketplace. Shoppers, theater goers, merchants, sailors, worshipers. Craftsmen are hawking their wares on each side of the street gathering particularly around the temple where they're selling souvenirs to the public and, and offerings for the gods. The, the busy harbor brings in goods from throughout the empire. It, it is, a, is a support to the local economy. You walk by a shop and there's some women there draping themselves with Persian silk and trying on Egyptian perfume. Now as a Christian in this crowd, you're keenly aware of other people's judgments when they look your way. Because most of them, when they look at you, they would consider you, of all things, an atheist. Christians with their odd belief in only one God. I mean, it was out of step with reality. I mean, come on, look at all of the people flocking to the temples, all of the business being generated, all of the prosperity being given, all of the livelihoods sustained, all of the hopes fulfilled by the gods, and yet the Christians say they are no gods. Atheists. Under suspicious stares, you walk past a sign for the arena, a place you hope you never have to go. For you have known too many Christians who have gone there not to be entertained, but to serve as entertainment of the most brutal kind. Whenever there is a trouble or there is breach of peace, the Christians are an easy scapegoat. Well, what with their allegiance to a, a crucified criminal who was killed for sedition under a Roman governor? 
the heavy hand of Rome exists to keep the peace and to keep the people happy. And when the Christians don't fall in line, they are a threat to peace. And the bloodthirsty Romans are all too happy to watch them die in the arena. As you walk around, it's clear you are a minority. And the majority doesn't like you. Continuing along in the market, you look to, to buy some food. Now, so much of the market is driven by this, this pagan worship. Okay? There's food that's offered as a sacrifice to the gods and then offered for sale to the public. Now, now it's food. And it's convenient, it's, it's available, and you need it to feed your family. So you pick up some, hoping that no one from your church sees you making the transaction. As you pull out the money to, to, to pay for it, even the coins in your hand tell a story consistent with the images that you see all around you. The emperor's head on one side, the celebrated temple of Artemis on the other. Another reminder of whose world you're living in, who's in control. This is the story that, that dominates. Everywhere you go, you can keep walking, and everywhere you look, everyone's telling this story. All of the art tells the story of Rome's greatness. Every clink of the centurion's armor, a reminder of her dominance. Artisans are pounding out statues to the emperor. Inscriptions, Caesar is Lord. They begin to etch themselves into your consciousness. And everywhere you go, all of the business being generated is orbits around the worship of Rome and the emperor and the gods. This broad pantheon, they are to be worshipped and given full allegiance. People come from far and wide to pay homage and to participate in the story of Rome's glory. Everywhere you look, that's what you see. That's the story that is driving the machine. You're in it. You can't escape it. You're immersed. It just is. That's the story they're telling. So what do you do when everything around you tells you a story different from the one that you've learned? When, when all of, of the evidence, everything that you see and hear, everything supports a vision of reality that runs counter to what you've been taught. You know, you, you know the story. Now, you, you've, you've been through it. You, you've read it. You, you've told it to your friends and to your kids. But, but what do you do when confronted with a counter story? When you're surrounded by it, when, when you're immersed in it? What do you do when, when the lure of material things tells you a story about how to find fulfillment? What do you do when, when your urges and impulses prompt you to, to, to believe a story that instant gratification is what's most important? You need it now. When your pride tells you a story about what you're entitled to, how do you not believe that? When your addictions tell you a story that you need it to survive and you can never be free of it, how, how do you not submit to that? When the image on the computer screen promises that it can satisfy you, when the mistress tells you that she can, she can make you happy, how do you not trust that story? Especially when everyone around you, everything around you is telling you that if you're not being satisfied sexually, you're missing out on life. What do you do when the American dream is calling you to get more house, a better car, a bigger nest egg, nicer things? When that's the story that is constantly being shoved down your throat, how do you not swallow it when everybody else is? Or what about when the world is, is taunting you 
when your anxiety is telling you a story about things spinning out of control, or the TV tells you a story laced with cynicism, or or a diagnosis tells you the story, the outlook is bleak. How, How do you not get swept away? In light of everything that we see and hear around us, how does this story fit in? How does it make sense? How does it have any relevance? I'll show you. That's what the book of Revelation says. I'll show you. To people asking those kinds of questions, Doubts swimming in their minds. Temptations challenging them on every front. uh, Pressure to conform constantly bearing down on them. To to, to people who had to be wondering, is is this Jesus thing even worth it? Is it it even real or is it just a hoax? To them, Revelation says, I'll show you. Revelation, it's an English translation of the Greek word apocalypse. And it simply means unveiling. Unveiling, okay? not, not disaster, not cataclysmic event, just unveiling. And one way you may be familiar with the, the way that the book often gets interpreted is that what it unveils is kind of the, the, the plan for the end time, this, this vision of the future, and, and people approach it like it's a crystal ball. right? And you've probably heard how people have read into this crystal ball, and they, they understand exactly how the events of the end times are going to play out. They can plot it all out, and they know exactly how it's going to happen. Okay, well, I'm not going to do that for you today. I'm not convinced that Revelation invites us to do that. But it does say some things about the end. And there are some fantastic visions and imagery, otherworldly kinds of things. But for whatever it says about the future, you need to know that the message has very much to do with the present. Much like the kind of reality that we just witnessed together on that walk through the Roman city. I mean, it was an intense time. Christians are being persecuted, discriminated against, even killed. Okay, the Apostle Paul's been put to death. John, the writer of the book of Revelation, is, is imprisoned on an island. Okay, now sure, we, we remember, it wasn't that long ago, we recall the early growth and the, the momentum of the early church. It exploded into power four chapters ago, and it's advancing through the empire, rolling along. Ain't no stopping Right? Right? You remember that. But it's not that way anymore. All of that's being challenged. This group of outcasts is is being put to the test. People who came together under this dream of taking on the world together are now uh, feeling the brunt of opposition, slogging it out under the hostile conditions, under the heavy hand of Rome. I mean, the honeymoon's over. Okay, and it's starting to feel a little bit more like... I'm in over my head. Yeah. I'm in over my head here. That's the song that they're going to be singing. I'm in over my head. I I don't want to be fed to the lions in the arena. I don't want my family to starve. I just want what what it seems like everybody else has. I want want peace like what Rome promises. So so Revelation was written to address these very real impulses. Like the rest of the Bible, it was written to a very specific situation. In this case, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Asia, 19 centuries ago. And like the rest of the Bible, it has relevance for us as well. 
And like the rest of the Bible, it helps us, it helps us see uh, the lower story and the upper story and understand the lower story in light of the upper story. That All along through this book, we have been tracking along with each of those things. The upper story being, of course, what, what God is up to, which is not always readily understandable or, or visible to us. The lower story being the things that, that we're immersed in every day. Sometimes things happen down here in our lower story and it doesn't make sense. It's out of step with our expectations and, and as we wait and as we seek God, then He reveals His upper story. And that's exactly what Revelation does. Everyone is very keenly aware of the lower story where Rome is having its way and writing the story in whatever way it pleases. And you're very aware of all of the stories that you're told about what's true and what's most important and how you should spend your time and shape your life and raise your kids and about who you are. But Revelation is given to us to say, I know this is what it looks like. I know that's what you see every day. But let me show you what's really going on. So, let's take a walk. Well, that's the invitation that uh, John received. John, the, the writer of Revelation, he said he was invited to take a walk and to, to see what was out there. In Revelation chapter 4, he writes, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. Come up here, John. Take a walk with me and let me show you what's real. And while his lower story was telling him that he was a prisoner going to die hopeless on an island under the dominant rule of Rome, these are the kinds of things that he saw. As soon as he walked through the door, he says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Who was it? Caesar? No. Artemis? No. This is the one who started it all. Remember him? The Creator, God, the Alpha, the First, the one who made everything. This is his space. When you walk through the door, you know this is his space. And John goes on to describe this fantastic vision, vivid imagery, too, too bold and, and amazing to describe, but yet he tries to write it down, and what he describes there is all of creation in attendance around the one who sits on the throne. The land and the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, everything is there around the throne. The heavenly beings, the, the angels, Revelation describes them, and they got wings and eyes all around under their armpits, but I tell you what, if you're gawking at them you're missing the point the lord is on the throne you see it one person does <laughs> so what it means is this down here in the lower story when you see evil triumph remember the lord is on the throne when you're doing the right things but you're getting the wrong results remember the lord is on the throne when you feel like you're out of control no, the Lord is on the throne. When you feel like you're in control, I got news for you. The Lord is on the throne. When your faith is being challenged because of all that you see that is anti-God, that is working against the purposes of God, that is not what God wants, remember, the Lord is on the throne. But what about the curse? What about the curse way back in the garden, the, the problem that started there, the, the, the rebellion and the pride and the greed, the, the, the sin 
that, that has wreaked havoc the world over, fueling evil empires and residing even within me. What about that? I, I've tried to do something about it, but, but I can't. The guilt, the, the, the shame, the evil that lives in me has is, is told me the story. I'm not worthy, and there's nothing that can be done. And then John says, let me show you something. For then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, was standing at the center of the throne. The lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb who offered Himself on our behalf. Jesus, the One who appeared to John in chapter 1, dazzling and brilliant face, shining like the sun, and said, I am the Living One. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. It's Jesus, the One who, who suffered at the hands of the Romans, whom they dispatched like any other common criminal. And I know it doesn't look like it as you glance around your streets and your cities, but from this perspective, it is entirely clear. You, Jesus, you are worthy because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Are you kidding me? That's who you are. That's who you are. And don't you believe a single lie that tells you otherwise. Jesus, who suffered and so now reigns, means that, that you, who are suffering, will one day reign with Him. Not because you've done it. Not because you have overpowered. Not because you overthrew the bad guys. But because Jesus has overcome the grave. And so worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And let every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them say to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You see it? Because sometimes our vision of Jesus gets distorted. And what Revelation unveils is Jesus in all of His glory. You need to see Him for who He really is. And in the book, there's wild visions and they can be challenging, but don't press the details too hard that it keeps you from seeing the main point. Okay, what Revelation is trying to communicate is really very simple. Jesus is awesome. Okay? Jesus is awesome. And it communicates that through a ton of different ways and different symbols. The Lamb worshipped by all creation. The One coming in the clouds. The firstborn ruler of all the earth. The rider on the white horse. The One seated on the throne. The bright morning star. The first and the last. Jesus is awesome. And there's something else that, that Revelation makes very clear. Jesus is victorious. Now, it would have been hard to believe that when all you see and hear are stories of Rome's victories and how they're conquering the world. They're God's gift to the earth to bring lasting peace and well-being, or so the story goes. 
But through a variety of symbols, Revelation, again, is helping us define reality. And I know a lot of people read into those symbols and they think they're talking about future events and, and so forth, and they interpret the symbols in a lot of ways. And there's further study you can do on that. Take the class in the fall. But okay, the clearest message is simply this. No, Rome's not God's gift to the earth. In fact, her power comes straight from the devil himself. She does not bring lasting peace. In fact, her power won't last. Rome will fall, just like every nation before her. And all who depended on her, all those who prospered from her, they're going to be very disappointed. Revelation 18 tells it, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, when they see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn for her. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their stuff anymore. The merchants who sold all those things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. Every sea captain, all who traveled by ship, the sailors, all who earned their living from the sea, they will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. So rejoice. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgments she imposed upon you. That's how Rome's story ends. It might have looked good and sounded good for a moment. You can buy into it if you want, but Revelation unveils. That's how it ends. And that's how it ends for any nation or, or any person that sets themselves up against God and His Christ. That's the verdict. That's the, the judgment revealed in the book. You reap what you sow. So, to, to those on earth who are suffering because they've taken Jesus' side, Revelation says what? Hold on. You will reap something great if you just endure to the end. Christ's victory means your victory. As it says in Revelation 3, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on His throne. That's what you need to know about Jesus. Every creature in heaven and on earth will sing His praises. And Revelation invites us to add our voice to the choir. So, will you add your voice to the choir? And not just your voice, but, but, but your heart. Your, your, your whole life. I hope you, you've heard throughout this story uh, Jesus making an invitation to you. And on these final pages, he, he's making it again. For he says again in Revelation 3, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Will you invite him in? Will you receive him? Even though you're living in a world that rejects him. The, the values of your workplace don't line up with Jesus. What's popular at your school are not in sync with Jesus. And accepting that invitation might make you appear out of step with reality, just like the people who first received the message of Revelation. But the truth is this. There is nothing more real than the God who made you and loves you and wants to be with you. Would you like to know how his story ends? Some of you? Uh-huh. Well, let's take a walk. Let's take a walk now to the end. You remember where we started. You, you remember how way back in the beginning when God 
created everything, the heavens and the earth and all that was in them. And it was good. It was very good. But then God took a walk that he didn't get to finish. And it's been a rough road since then. Huh? And all along the way, there have been people who have refused to walk with the one who made them. And all along the way, God has always been faithful to walk with the people he created. And for those who are suffering, for those who are wondering, Revelation unveils God's faithfulness endures all the way to the end. The book describes it. God deals with evil. Satan is vanquished once and for all. That ancient serpent that, that tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, he's done. And it wasn't even a fight. And the hopes with which God began his walk in the cool of the day are finally brought to reality. John tells it, and I can't say it any better than to just read it. Listen, listen to his words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. They will walk together at last. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. When everything around you tells you a different story, you remember that story. Remember that story. When tempted, hold on. Remember what lasts and what doesn't. When defeated, stand firm. Remember that the battle has already been won. 
When grieved, take heart. For a day is coming when He will wipe every tear from our eye and there will be no more death or crying or sorrow or pain. When dying, rejoice. For the one who conquered death is preparing a place for you where you will reign with Him forever and ever. Remember that story. For he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for your story. We are so blessed to be included as a part of it. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, which has proven itself since the beginning of time. You have always shown yourself to be graceful and loving, even when we have not. So, God, we are sorry for the ways that we have been led astray by another story, for ways that we, too, have rebelled, for the ways greed and pride have have taken over. God, find us here ready to confess and to repent, to to add our voices to the choir. God, encourage us today. Help us to hold on, to stand firm in the faith, knowing the way that our story ends. Thank you for the truths that you've revealed to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.